disclaimer here at the beginning. Um, the end of the homily might be a little bit controversial. The hope always is, of course, that it, it wouldn't be, but I'm aware that, uh, that it might be, and you'll understand when I start talking about it. But that's at the end, and I've actually kind of even debated about it a little bit with myself about whether I should talk about this particular thing or not. You know, because I'm thinking of, like, I've got this series coming up. We've got the series, the Lent and the Easter series, and it's, it's like, you know, getting, getting back to the basics. And, and you know, I, I don't want to rock the boat before that because I want everyone, you know, to, to not be upset or to not come to Mass. And, and so I, I, want, I want everyone to come to Mass. Uh, and, and so there's this debate. But at the same time, right, what I have in mind, again, we'll talk about it at the end. I don't want to give it away because uh, I want you to listen. Uh, is, is that it seems necessary and it fits. Plus, if you get upset about it, it also actually kind of helps to prove one of my points. So um, it's something of a little bit of a litmus test. Um, anyway, but, but what, I, what, I, what we need, what I need you to do is to hear the whole homily, right? So I don't want you going home today saying, well, the homily was about this one point that Father made at the end. You need to listen to the whole homily because the whole homily is going to include uh, an incredibly important principle, a reality that we need to have in our lives if we're going to be true Christians, if we're going to be true disciples of Jesus, right? Okay, so now, with that, we got to kind of set the stage. Before we get talking about today's gospel, we got to ask, where have we been, right? And this, this, is, this is actually, I think, part of the mind of the church. We know this, that during ordinary time, we slowly work our way through one of the gospels. This year, we're working our way through the gospel of Matthew, and, and so I think working our way through this, we, we want to look at each gospel passage, not as an isolated thing, but to look at it from the bigger picture of what's going on in the whole gospel. You know, like Jesus today, it says he went up the mountain. Well, where was he before that? What was going on before that? You know, so to see it in, in its whole and entire picture. So where have we been? Well, the, two weeks ago, we didn't hear from the Gospel of Matthew. We began ordinary time by hearing from the Gospel of John, right? Which is kind of a unique thing that ordinary time in all three years of cycles always begins with John. And it begins with, with what do we see? John the Baptist out in the desert doing his thing, baptizing people, calling people to repentance. He sees Jesus and he points at him. And do you remember what he said? Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world, which we hear at Mass, of course, right? So John the Baptist looks at Jesus and he sees in Jesus beneath the surface. And what he sees is he sees that John isn't, or Jesus isn't just some ordinary man. He's not just another man, but instead he sees the very one who can take away sins. And who is the only one that can take away sins? God, right? So we saw this, that we talked about this two weeks ago, that Jesus his identity, who he is, is revealed in the Gospels. And who he is, is God himself, who has come down from heaven. Which is incredible enough, right? Like, God who is infinitely superior to us, to you and to me, because he creates us. He holds us in existence, right? If he would stop thinking about any one of us at any given time, we would suddenly just, like, stop existing. We would, we would disappear. This is, this is who God is, this is his power, and here, John the Baptist points at Jesus and he says, this is him, the one who can take away sins. This is God. And so we talked about what, is that, what does that imply or what are the consequences of Jesus being God? We talked about, well, that means that when he speaks, it's not just another man speaking, but it's God himself speaking. And so when he teaches, it is God teaching. When he, make, when he gives commands, it is God giving commands. And hopefully, 
we can all agree that if God gives us a command, that it's something that we should follow. If he teaches us something, it's because he wants us to know it and to learn it. We talked about the things that he does. It reveals the priorities of God, the people that he reaches out to. And we'll talk more about that in, in, a, in a few minutes here when we talk about today's gospel. Right? But, but Jesus being God, it has incredible implications and consequences that if that's true, that he's God, then, then there's ultimately no one else worth listening to in an absolute sense because he's the only one who can reveal to us the thoughts of God, which is incredible. Right, so that's two weeks ago. Last week, what did we see? Well, we saw Jesus, who is God. He's, we saw that he comes with a mission. Remember, he goes first to Zebulun and Naphtali. He goes to these places that have been without God's presence for the longest amount of time in, in the Holy Land, in Israel. He goes to do what? To restore them, to bring the presence of God to those places. And so we see that God's mission, it includes all of us. It includes the entire community of people who God calls his people. But then after that, we saw what? We saw Jesus go to individual people. We saw him go to Peter and his brother Andrew and say to them individually, follow me. And then he went to James and to John and he said to them, follow me. We learned that Jesus's mission, it encompasses all of us, but maybe perhaps more importantly, it includes each of us. Right? It's one thing to say that God loves y'all. It's another thing to say God loves you individually. And Jesus reveals this, that his mission is both and. He has both, he's come to restore both the community of people who he creates and calls to heaven, and he has come to restore each individual person. Right? He is the savior of all, but he also needs to be the savior of each of us. That's what we saw last week, right? So these, these are, again, incredibly important things. Now, what, what happens? So today we jump into Matthew chapter 5. We actually skipped um, a couple of verses. So I, I just want to read the verses because I think what happens in between is, is really, it's important and it's revealing about what Jesus does next, okay? So, so our gospel last week, it mentioned that he went about all of Galilee, uh, preaching in their synagogues, teaching, uh, preaching the gospel of the king, healing every disease and every infirmity among the people, right? Which is incredible enough. But then it says this, so his fame spread throughout all Syria and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Okay, so what, what's going on? Jesus is becoming incredibly popular, right? Which makes sense. If you saw somebody performing miraculous healings, you would be like, I, I want to just sort of keep my eye on this person to see what are they going to do next? Right? If you saw them, if you saw somebody who was possessed or who looked like they were possessed and, and this guy spoke a word to them and suddenly they looked like they were normal, right? That they, he had performed an exorcism, you would say to yourself, I don't, I don't know who this guy is, but I got I to gotta follow him. And this is what was going on. The people saw, they, they weren't really wondering. They saw that Jesus is the one who was promised to them in the Old Testament. They saw that Jesus is the Messiah, right? He, he, he was slowly revealing himself to them. And so naturally, 
great crowds start to follow him. Word spreads, right? Like, did you hear about the miracle worker? Did you hear about the guy who's preaching with the authority of God? Did you hear? It seems like he's the Messiah. He's the one that we've been waiting for for, for generations and generations and generations. We got to go to him. That's what's going on. People are getting incredibly excited about Jesus. They're eager to follow him. Now, I've got, a, I've got a, a few reflection questions for us this morning, and this is the point where we ask the first reflection question. We see all of this taking place, and we see the people getting incredibly excited about Jesus, incredibly eager to follow him. And so this brings us to our first question. Are you excited about Jesus? Are you eager to follow him? And I know it might seem like a really basic question, and if, if you're one of those people that says, Father, I don't, yeah, of course, right? Great, awesome, keep going. But I also know that, that many people, many people who come to Mass every Sunday are not actually excited about Jesus. You guys have heard me talk about this. I know that many people come either because it's a family affair and you know their, their parents or their spouse drags them to Mass. I know that many people come because, well, I just, I, I want to see what Father's going to preach about this weekend. Or, or many people come because like, well, it's just what I've always done and I'm in the habit of it and so this is what I got to do. And there, there, there's not actually any real excitement about Jesus. There's not any real eagerness to hear what he's teaching and preaching. And so we have to have, each of us has to ask, answer this question, right? Are you excited about Jesus? Are you eager for that? And if you're not, that means that something has gone terribly wrong in your life. Because these are the kinds of things, as we hear them, these are the kinds of things that are meant to, to trigger inside of us this, this longing that we have for, for someone, the eternal God, to rescue us and to bring us to himself. We're built with that inside of us. And so if that is inside of us is not being triggered, then that means that something has gone wrong in your life, that, that maybe you've been misled or maybe you've, you've closed yourself off to the grace of God, whatever it is. If you're, if you're one of those people, you need, to, you need to stop what you're doing and just simply give Jesus permission to make you excited about him. You need to give yourself permission and say, Jesus, I don't, I don't know why I'm not excited, but I see that it's worthwhile to be excited about you. And so I give you permission, Jesus, to come into my life and to make me eager and excited to follow you. Now, we move on to today's gospel. So, so what happens, right? Where, where, where are we? Well, so we got these large crowds following Jesus, right? He's, he's popular, he's famous, everyone's coming. And what does Jesus do? When he saw the crowds, he went up the mountain. He's like, okay, I see everyone, I gotta get out of here. He goes up the mountain, which seems really strange, right? It would make sense for him to stop and just turn and look at the crowds and be like, great, I'm so glad you're all here. I'm so glad that you've heard about me. Let me start preaching to you. But instead, he goes up the mountain, which requires people to do what? Well, to climb a mountain isn't always the easiest thing, right? It requires people to put forth a little bit of effort. And so we see that actually not everybody goes up the mountain. It says what? His disciples come to him. It is his disciples that, that leave the crowd to go up the mountain. It is his disciples, the, the, the disciples are the ones who are convicted that that Jesus isn't just a miracle worker. He's not just a healer. He's not just someone who speaks with extra authority, but he is the one who is to come. And so because of that, I want to be his disciple. Now you might ask, what's a disciple? That's great, I'm glad you asked that question. 
A disciple is somebody who learns from another person for the sake of becoming like that person. So if I'm a disciple of Jesus, that means that I learn from him. I have a firm commitment to learn from him so that I might become like him. That's what it is to be a disciple. It is a firm conviction, right? It is someone who's willing to step out of the anonymous crowd to get a little bit closer to Jesus, right? And of course, if I'm learning from him, that means I'm, I'm listening to him and I'm obeying him. And if my goal is to become more like him, then that means if as I'm listening to him, if that means if he teaches something that I disagree with, because of my commitment to becoming more like him, that means that I am willing to set aside my preference and my opinion for his. This is what a disciple is. Someone who is willing to set aside his or her own preferences for the sake of listening to Jesus so that I can become more like him. Now this comes to our second question. Are you a disciple of Jesus? Are you somebody who steps out of the anonymous crowd to get a little bit closer to him? to actually be willing to learn from him. And if you find that he teaches something or his church teaches something that you disagree with, you're willing to set aside your own preference and your own opinion to submit to his. And again, I know this might seem like a really basic question. And if you're one of those people that thinks this is a really basic question, it's an obvious answer, yes, of course, praise God. I'm so glad for you. But again, you've heard me mention this before. Most Christians are not disciples of Jesus. Most Christians today are just members of the crowd. Most Christians, most Catholics are not real disciples. Most people, when it comes down to it, when push comes to shove, are unwilling to set aside their own preferences, but instead they're all too eager to set aside the preferences of Jesus. Most people, when it comes down to it, would cling more closely to their political beliefs or their political party than they would to cling to Jesus. And that's a big problem because Jesus is looking for his disciples to come to him. These are the very people who are going to be saved by him, those who are committed to him and to him alone. So you have to ask, answer that question. Are you a disciple? And this is the good news, you guys. This is the good news. And, and, and maybe I don't always emphasize this enough, that if you find yourself saying, actually, I'm not sure if I'm a disciple, the good news is that the invitation of Jesus is new every day. And so if you find yourself saying, actually, up to this point, I think I have clung, clung more to my own preferences, more to my own political beliefs, more to my own thoughts than I have to Jesus, and I don't know what to do. Well, the good news is that you can set all of that aside now and come and sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to him. Now, this, now, 
Right, so we're 15 minutes into the homily and we're just finally getting to the Sermon on the Mount. But that was all incredibly important because the Sermon on the Mount, we have to know this, that when we come to Mass for the next few weeks, and really, we don't even get the whole sermon. You have to go home and read the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew's chapter, Matthew chapters 5 through 7. This sermon is preached to people who are committed to being disciples of Jesus. So if you're not committed to being a disciple of Jesus, then many of the things that Jesus preaches and teaches in the Sermon on the Mount are going to be offensive to you. And even if you are committed to being a disciple of Jesus, we're going to see that even those things might cause us to be a little bit uncomfortable. For example, let's look at the Beatitudes. This is the fascinating thing, right? The Beatitudes are all things that are unpleasant and undesirable. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Who wants to be poor? Nobody. Blessed are those who mourn. Who likes mourning? Who likes being sad about something? Nobody. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Nobody wants that, right? These are things, this is the fascinating thing, right? Like, these, are, these are not desirable traits that Jesus is lifting up as blessed. And yet, what's he doing? He's revealing his vision of life. He's revealing what's in his mind. That is what's in the mind of God. He's revealing this for his disciples so that his disciples can see what he's all about. And then seeing that, they can take that and bring that into their own life so they can become more like him. Which again, let's, let's just pause and, and reflect on this for just a moment. To become like Jesus, who is Jesus? Jesus is God. To become like Jesus is an invitation to become like God. Can you think of anything better than that? Becoming like God. I can't think of anything. Right? And so, so as he lifts up all of these things, and, and for that matter, our psalm response. So we, we don't sing our psalms here, and, and I know that it's the common thing to do that, but I actually kind of like it because it, it allows me to pay more attention to the psalm. So let, let's listen to what the Lord does. The Lord keeps faith forever. He secures justice for the oppressed. He gives food to the hungry. He sets captives free. He gives sight to the blind. He raises up those who are bowed down. He protects strangers. You see this, God, more than anything, is revealed in the scriptures, just as Jesus is revealing that his vision, his sight, his love, and his care, more than on anyone else, is on those who are poor and vulnerable, those whose society most often overlooks and considers unimportant. And so then Jesus is saying this to his disciples so that he can get in their minds, these are the people that you need to be looking for. These are the people that you need to consider to be most blessed because for some reason, he's saying, God cares more about those people or he cares about them in a special way. And so now we have to sort of take this, right, and ask ourselves the question. We're, we're eager and excited about Jesus, hopefully, we're disciples of Jesus, hopefully, willing to learn from him, to become like him. Now we need to ask the question, are we looking out for those in our world who are most vulnerable, who are most overlooked, who are considered unimportant? And again, I think if we're honest, at least in a communal way, the answer we have to give is no. Consider the world. Who are the people that are most vulnerable? The elderly. There's so many elderly people who are in nursing homes who are unvisited. The world tries to push more and more euthanasia, physician-assisted suicide, so that we can just get rid of them. The poor. The homeless. And controversy. 
who's more vulnerable than an unborn child? The state of Minnesota just yesterday passed a bill that makes abortion at any point in someone's pregnancy, up to the point of birth, it makes abortion a right that they have. This is the society that we're building, our society, which by the way, is still mostly people who claim themselves to be Christians. And here we are, willing to let something like this just come to, to be law. This is a society that is not Christian, that is not set on discipleship with Jesus. Now, I know, hopefully, most of us are not okay with abortion. Hopefully, right? And if you are, then we got to have a conversation. If you're okay with killing babies, that's a problem. Because who's more vulnerable than that? But it's not even just being okay with it. It's also being okay with voting for people who are in favor of killing babies. I'm not a political guy, so, so this isn't like me telling you that, that you gotta be of a certain party. But it is to say that we cannot, as a people, be okay with voting for someone who is okay with killing babies. That is an incredibly large problem. Why? Because it is a problem in the eyes of God who looks out for the vulnerable, who looks out for the people who have no voice to speak for themselves. Right? And this is the thing. I know that, that this sort of thing is not just, it's not just one thing, right? I mentioned there are other things, and there are other things in there that I really struggle with myself. I sometimes struggle to look out for those who are most vulnerable. I struggle myself to look out and care for those who are overlooked. Yes, I, so I get that, and I understand that it might be difficult. But the church teaches that the issue of abortion is the preeminent issue. That is to say that it's the most important of all the issues. And so as we're looking at, at how we're gonna promote these kinds of things in our society, this has to be the first one that we look at. But along with that, brothers and sisters, we have to be a people that takes what Jesus preaches and teaches, we have to take that to heart because that's what it is to be a disciple. We have to take his vision and try to bring that vision into our lives so that we can bring that vision to the farthest corners of the world and so that you and I can become more and more like Jesus every day, which is to say more and more like God himself.